0: Welcome everybody to this Banned Books episode, I'm very excited to have some very revered guests in the podcast studio here to talk to you about good books, bad books and everything in between. Uh, Can I get you guys to intro yourself to the listeners? Hello, I'm Hannah Trevartan, I'm Events and Development Manager at
1: English Pen and for those of you that don't know, English Pen is a literature and human rights organisation we were founded in 1921, so we're quite old, although we look very youthful. Um, <laughs> and we... age very well. Yeah. Uh, and we um, kind of have three main areas of work. So we uh, campaign on behalf of Writers at Risk around the world and defend the free speech landscape in the UK. Um, we have a translation programme, we give grants, to get books published into English, Um, so kind of going with our ethos that literature knows no frontiers. And we uh, do creative writing workshops um, for um, young refugees and asylum seekers through a project called Brave New Voices. And we publish them in an anthology every year. And some of the participants this year um, were at the proms, so go check that out as well. Um, And then I bring them all together into a lovely programme of public engagement work.
2: Um, As Lena said, my name is Nick, Nick Skidmore. I'm an editor at Vintage. I also work on uh, what's called the uh, PRH Pen Working Group, um, so Penguin Random House is a Silver Pen member, um, which uh, means that we uh, sort of support uh, English Pen in various uh, ways, um, and as part of that, um, the, the, the working group kind of thinks about ways in which we can um, kind of further our support and um, uh, kind of generate discussion amongst colleagues about, about how we can en- engage with Pen in issues around um, freedom of speech. Great, so um, I'm Ed Grand and I'm the finance analyst at Vintage um, on, and I work with Nick in the English Pen Working Group.
0: When we think about the banned books in the world, there's lots of books that we might study that we don't realise that have been banned and and it's and it's this time during Banned Book Week where we take some time to think about those books. Why do we do that? Why does Banned Books Week exist? So, um, Banned Books Week
1: uh, was founded by the American Library Association in 1982 um, kind of in response to an increasing number of challenges in the US to books in schools, um, bookstores and libraries. And so Banned Books Week UK is a week-long celebration um, of kind of the freedom to read that we have here in the UK. So there's lots of us getting involved kind of celebrating the freedom to read. But this year, we're also sort of celebrating the... um, 1968 Theatres Act, um, which kind of changed the way that we viewed theatre and kind of what had gone before with the Lord Chamberlain and censorship of theatre.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think probably uh, the best example for me is um, and one that's very very sort of infamous is uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover, mm. um, and the trial that that kind of was around that, um, uh, the publication of the uncensored version of that book in 1960 by Penguin. Um, and i think i think that that that's very very interesting because because it, it, that the the sort of the um, the decision that was made that actually uh, penguin were not guilty of i um, don't uh, what they what they weren't mm. guilty yeah, of yeah what's um,
0: what's in lady Shatterley's lover that's so
2: well disgraceful. actually the don't,
0: maybe don't say it, you know yeah. you don't want it's intimate
2: details actually it wasn't initially the, uh, the sex mm. in it that was um, contentious at the beginning, it was it was the use of the the F word. I don't say it on this podcast, and the C word. I certainly won't say it on this podcast. That's no, I know. Mean, I'm it. censoring myself. Um, and and so, uh, Penguin were, were brought to trial for publishing something that uh, you know went 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 was obscene, essentially. Mm. Um, and, but it and wasn't the sex that was obscene. Well, it, no, was it wasn't, but but within the the cu- within within the court case, the, okay. the the sex became sort of analysed. And I actually, one of the things that wasn't ever kind of um, touched upon, and could have probably changed the outcome of the trial, was um, the depiction of of, of anal sex, mm. uh, because actually the um, the uh, um, I think it's the, the prosecutor um, was was so uh, conservative and, and, and such as an old school gentleman, he couldn't actually, in, in reading the book, actually understand what, what D.H. Lawrence was alluding to. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually the, the case is very interesting because it really is that battle between an old school establishment, um, and, and sort of society that had already kind of developed and was evolving and, you Mm -hmm. know, the sixties were, were about to, 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 um, come underway. Uh, and in some ways actually, um, uh, the decision that lady Chapley's lover could be published was i think part of part of the uh, the swinging 60s and and uh, and all of the kind of liberalism that went mm. and came um, afterwards so it was a very important um uh moment in publishing history um and of you know of course now we have bad sex awards and all sorts of things so um so it's it it really is a, a very very important book I don't, I don't think it necessarily holds up as a book i don't know if anyone's read it but it's not, it's not the most excellent of books but um, but I think the best in, uh, you can get uh, for it, your book is yeah, getting it banned yeah <laughs> well yeah, the, yeah the, 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 the spy catcher effect where mm. if you if you do if you do take a, a, a book to court and it's published to court then actually it can have huge repercussions for the sales of the book so it has an adverse effect um, in, in, in that sense and similar
0: um, to recent The Fire and Fury absolutely yeah, yeah. somebody who's written about gets angry and yeah. more people want to know what's in it completely <laughs> um,
2: but, but one of the things I find really fascinating about the Lady Chatterley um, uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover trial is that um, it was it, it sort of hinged on the idea that if you could demonstrate that uh, the use of the F word and the C word and also the uh, representations of sex were in some way beneficial to the, the work's literary merit then it was acceptable, right. um, and we, you know, that's that's something that doesn't doesn't kind of exist anymore. We we don't. We, you know, who who would who would kind of um, police that? Mm. But at the time, it was the establishment that would police that. Um, and after after that case, then um, you had others in 1971 and 1977, uh, where the, those kinds of uh, ideas about um, taste and decorum, and also and also cultural merit. Uh, were challenged and and overcome so so it's a a really really important band book um uh and as i say yeah it's it is it is worth reading if you haven't read it but it's it's not my favorite book but but not quite as shocking now not quite as shocking now no (laughs) no absolutely not but um but certainly girls era (laughs) yeah certainly still has some literary merit i think (laughs) yeah
1: so i would like to um talk about two um two books one uh which has kind of was a kind of uk publishing UK uh, English language title and then a um, a Belarusian book Mm -hmm. so um, recently um, English pen uh, were involved in a case in the Supreme Court which was to do with an injunction against a book uh, published uh, by Canongate um, uh, which is James Rose's memoir instrumental um, and in that case um, the case was uh, Kind of, they wanted to prevent the publication of the book because, kind of, the crux of the argument was that um, the content within the book, in which he kind of details his life and and the the abuse that he suffered, um, that the kind of there was kind of the potential harm to a specific individual, um, and um, the kind of case was kind of the balance was discussing that potential harm to a specific individual um, versus kind of the author's right to discuss their own past and to speak their Mm -hmm. own truth Um, and so that kind of happened a few a few years ago and um, the supreme court said that kind of would would be an intolerable precedent to kind of not publish a book because of the harm to one specific individual Mm -hmm. Um, and i think what does it say um, it says here, uh, a person who has suffered in the way that James Rose has suffered and has struggled to cope with the consequences of his suffering in the way that he has struggled has the right to tell the world about it in all its searing detail. So that's what the Supreme Court said in their judgment. Wow. And uh, they've put, printed that on the back of the book. Yeah, <laughs> it's really like... Yeah. Quote, yeah. So anyway you get quote from the Supreme Court, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think when we were talking about kind of legal circumstances where books might kind of be not be published, I think, that was kind of a really good precedent to say actually, for people they have the right to kind of speak speak their truth. But what you were going back to earlier to say like what is happening in the UK, mm. there are cases like this which are still kind of going ahead, um, but kind of kind of going going around the world. Um, you know, we at English PEN with our translation program support. Grant uh, support books to be published into English, and a book that we supported recently is a Belarusian book um, which is called A La Milosh. I hope i pronounced that right mm-hmm. uh, with a dash of Elvis Presley, it's got a really um, surreal cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, apparently, the publisher was saying that the original Belarusian book had to be published in Latvia because of the ongoing discrimination against the Belarusian language in Belarus. So, in terms of kind of forms of censorship a lot of those might be to do with kind of minority languages or Mm. by be seen by the kind of ruling body as a language of opposition um so there are kind of places around the world where the language that you speak means that you don't get to read books in that language as well so Mm. um there are lots of things kind of happening happening around the world um yeah so um but then also you know it's great that they can be published into English but we were talking earlier about kind of forms of economic censorship so if there isn't money to be for books to be published then yes. you don't get to hear those voices yeah. and actually in turkey at the moment um because of the economic situation there the price of paper is so high that books are not being published at the moment
2: the peter Meyer um piece that hannah mentioned is called the right to publish and there's this uh, really terrific uh few paragraphs um which uh, towards the end of the piece, where he just explains kind of the decision-making process and and the thoughts that were going on in Penguin as the publisher, um, which I think when you read them, they are they sort of do 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 frame the the role and responsibility as of, as a publisher to publish views that might um, be be offensive, um, and and why that still remains an important uh, thing to to fight for. Um, So he says that that at at ad hoc in-house discussions and at formal board meetings, we chose to frame the argument as one, not only respecting the central importance of free speech, but transcending the case of this one book. The fate of the book affected the future of free inquiry, without which there would be no publishing as we knew it, but also by extension, no civil society as we knew it. We did not spend too much time recalling Milton and Galileo, but I did think of books that we and others had published that some Catholics probably did not like other books that offended some Jews or evangelical Christians, or minorities who felt their beliefs, values, or ethnicity had been treated negatively. And what if books that offended majorities, a subject I heard no one, out, no one raise, ceased to publish those books too, when someone raised a hand against them? Although my board was profoundly uneasy, we came to agree that, uh, that uh, any one of us, or a company, could do was above all to preserve the principles that underlie our profession, and which have, since the invention of movable type, brought it respect. We were publishers. I thought that meant something. So, I, I think in in the the the, uh, the context of Russia, that's a very mm. powerful um, perspective. And you, you mentioned this was only published ten years ago, it's the first time. Yeah, I think it was the
1: first time that he kind of had written about it.
2: Mm. I think I think one of the interesting things in in terms of publishing is that there are publishers who uh, their identity is is based on what they publish. Mm. You know, it's based on and I mean that in the sense of, 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 of ideology and, 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 and an idea and a, and a sort of political leaning. So if you think about a publisher like Verso, for example, they're, they're exceptionally left-leaning and they do uh, a terrific job of publishing, you know, a huge number of um, uh, left-leaning thinkers and, and bringing them to the attention of, of um, the, the um, general readership. Um, but when you extrapolate... Um, that out and you have a publisher of a, a, a very large size um you know with a very long history and might be made up of many many different imprints um that have each existed for say over 80 to 100 years what you end up having is a, is a huge collection as you, you mentioned earlier about the e-books you know there's this kind of picture of what everyone thought over time what you end up with a, with a big publishing house is is you you, you cannot be that um you can't sort of lean one way or the other you have to ensure but um i think yeah, we can't be retrospectively prescriptive yeah. about what you know what we are going to publish unless we start we're not going to start editing our backlist to suit a particular viewpoint yeah precisely so if you're if you are a large company uh that publishes uh, or has published over you know 100 years has a huge backlist um and within that backlist you have a huge array of diverse opinions from 40s 50s 60s um and and beyond yeah i think as a publisher and you're looking at reviving those works and thinking about how to update them for the modern day and the contemporary debate i i, I don't think you can only decide um to uh to focus on 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 ones that that maybe um are in tune with your own personal political beliefs
0: mm. and i suppose as well like Uh, like the act of publishing is is quite humbling really because you have in the present moment no real idea of what will be relevant to the next generation or what will Mm. have been useful what will be forgotten so it is kind of a little bit of a a gamble I guess and and just trying to represent as many relevant viewpoints as possible I wonder like in the future where people will be like
1: oh, I don't know why they published that Yeah,
0: well, it's like Moby Dick didn't make any money when it was out. And, and, Mm. you know, I'm sure Dickens would be much more happy with the royalties he'd get if he was alive now, now that Victorian nostalgia is Mm. so prevalent at Christmas. (laughs) He'd be loving it, but I think at the time he was struggling quite a bit. not a hit of his
1: day, but (laughs) now (laughs) we think it's
0: great. (laughs) So, again, the the books that we think are important and represent us now might not actually represent, like, our generation to our grandchildren. Mm. It's Mm. very strange to think about. Well, I guess as well, you you can say also
1: in terms of kind of, I don't know, we live in a society, we live in a democratic society, where there's also a right to be kind of critical of something. So mm. you can say, yes, you've published this book, and I, I, as an individual and do not agree with that but then you also have the right to critique it and say mm. actually it's a really badly written book and X, Y and Z and the argument in that it's really badly reasoned so we are kind of we are in a in a place where you can publish a book that not everybody will agree with but as an individual you can say I don't agree with that and this is why I don't agree with it and I think we're incredibly fortunate to be able to be able to do that
2: and given how rife censorship used to be mm. you know through the nineteenth century and early twentieth century in the UK, it's the books that you know that maybe were were banned or were censored or were you know mm. fell by the wayside that way. And I guess the same thing with the Theatres Act, Act in nineteen sixty eight, whereby before plays had to be censored by the Lord Chamberlain's Office, you know, it was that question of what went through and you know mm. wasn't licensed to be performed. So mm. what what was lost in that way? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the thing, isn't it, is that, is that when we talk about, when we talk today about what you commission and what you publish, it, it, can, very, it can very easily just fall on to political debate mm. and, and uh, you know, what, are, what, what voices across, across the spectrum are publishing. But you have to remember that a lot of, a lot of the 20th century was, it was a stylistic and, um, I mean, it's still political, but, but, but played out through art and form and, and what could be represented and shown on the page. Um, and I, and I, think, I think, you know, it's, it's important not to lose that as well because, um, you know, we've mentioned economic censorship and there is, uh, as a publisher, there's an economic imperative as well as a, as a sort of imperative to, to ensure that we are, you know, serving society. And, and, uh, and as part of the economic imperative, it can be sometimes um, that, that those more experimental voices and more experimental approaches to writing can get, can get lost, they can get censored. Um, and so, uh, so I think that, that as part of any sort of, um, uh, sort of um, uh, publishing long view, mm. um, you know, you need to, you need to ensure that, that, that experimentation continues in, in, in fiction, in any the way you know, we tell yeah. stories, nonfiction. So it's not just about Trump and ideology. It's, it's also about, you know, it's, it's, it's representation and and, um, and, and the way in which we tell stories, which, which we need to sort of. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think the thing is is with if you're thinking about kind of censorship and banning books like uh, fundamentally that comes down that people believe there is a power in the word, yes, yeah. and that is important and yeah. the way that you use those are important, mm. yeah, and you might disagree with it and say, but you still think that what's been written or published in a book has the impact of being extraordinarily powerful mm. either in a positive or negative way
0: um but yeah, it's. Are yeah. <laughs> like summary, books are important. In summary, books. And Hannah, this is potentially a question for you, but opening up to everyone, what can we do to support the circulation of ideas and books, both in this country, I guess, but then also elsewhere. Are we petitioning? Are we buying books we disagree with? Are we, Ooh, are we I'm I mean, <laughs> uh I
1: letters. would say
0: join English Pen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. um, Sounds you like know, a pretty solid yeah. start. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, if you're if you believe that um, supporting writers around the world and making sure um, that you know we hear from their voices then you can join pen to help support our transition program but also to kind of support writers at risk around the world so that mm. we are not forgetting their voices and words mm. um, and if you go to a website you can see um, the kind of current cases that they're campaigning for and i think um, also um, write to writers at risk and say i'm really you know we we have not forgotten you I'm reading your work. I've picked up your book. I've yeah. read your article online because I think, you know, what we hear from a lot of writers when they've been uh, released from prison, or we have heard from their families, is that the thing that kind of keeps them going is knowing that they haven't been forgotten. Yeah. So, um, so can can through English PEN
0: you can so, yeah. find out who who to write to and
1: yeah. And so we have a letter writing campaign, and we'd love it if people would write to writers at risk. Um, around the world there's a, a list of those and then at christmas we do um a season's greetings campaign
0: so we encourage people to kind of send season's greetings to writers across the globe that's so cool. And i suppose as well it's also having conversations like this and reminding ourselves of what's possible if we don't watch what laws are being passed in our own countries what what we can regress to as well and yeah. knowing that that's always a possibility and I, I think
1: as well that, um you know my my colleague often says that you know we should kind of be watchful of what's happening in the UK you can't be um critical of what's happening Mm. elsewhere in the world if your house is not in order so to speak so Mm. if you think if you want to campaign for things that are happening in the UK whether that's to do with privacy or libel or Mm. other things then you know we can't kind of as a as a country go to other places and say it's outrageous that you're kind of surveilling your country when Mm. actually we're doing it here Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so English Pen is doing an event as part of a band Book Suite UK at the Royal Court Theatre Mm. so that's on Friday the 28th of September at 530 and we're going to be discussing um, with uh, two playwrights um, and the chair of the Royal Court about kind of where we are now and what you can do and how do you navigate the situation that we're in as a kind of as a creative yeah pick up our pens (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) thank you everyone
1: thank you